Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you. Unfiltered talk and the hardcore truth. Mega, mega, mega. 
tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. I'm Rory Sodder. It is fantastic to be with all of you. Great to be with you. I have missed you all since Tuesday. It has uh, been quite uh, the interesting last couple days in the media. A lot has happened. We have a lot to get to. We had, the, we had great shows on Tuesday and Monday. Uh, just excellent uh, lineup, uh, great dialogue, uh, fantastic uh, topics we, we established. Uh, first and foremost, like every episode, I want to thank my audience. I want to thank my co-hosts. I want to thank uh, my amazing guests and my amazing sponsors. Uh, we are listened to in 22 different countries on over 60 online platforms. And everybody, the show just gets better and better every episode. And uh, it's thanks to you guys. You guys are unbelievable. Uh, I want to introduce uh, my co-host, uh, businessman, Twitter master, activist and political strategist, Bill Lambert. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Rory. How are you this evening? Uh, doing very well, man. The weekend's approaching. Always a nice relief. Always a good feeling, you know? Absolutely. Springtime, nice in Texas now. About 80 degrees here today, sunny. It's a good day. There you go. There you go. Same in Arizona. Beautiful down here, too. Um, I also want to welcome to the show 2024 presidential candidate, popular talk show host, activist, and best-selling author, Daryl Kane. How are you, buddy? Brother, I am doing good. It's really uh, exciting to be with you here again. I've missed you since Tuesday as well, so we're going to have a really fun show tonight, I'm sure. Daryl Kane, 2024.com. God bless you guys. You got my vote in 2024, man. You're our hope, man. You're our only hope after Trump leaves. Um, <laughs> and I, I also want to welcome um, founder of College Republicans United and founder of Republicans United and currently the leader of his brand-new organization called Nationalists United. Kevin Dukeiper, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very well, and I hope you are too, Rory. It's great to have you here, man. Um, I, I missed you. It's been a few days. Um, I, I want to get into the main topic tonight, our, our opening story. Trump made his decision today. You know, he, uh, in regards to uh, closing the border, uh, what what he did was he's offering Mexico uh, a very strong and direct warning, telling them they better stop sending people. They have a year to get their immigration under control. Otherwise, Trump is going to start going after uh, their cars with tariffs. And we all know uh, Mexico makes a fortune uh, off their cars. And if, if Trump starts tariffing, putting tariffs on their cars, uh, there's going to be a lot of problems with their economy, and that's not a chance I don't think they want to take. However, um, I do worry, you know, because they have before at certain points, just to be condescending and difficult, tried to call past leaders bluff and, and tried to play mind games with us. Um, I, I strongly hope they got the message. I strongly hope that uh, they play, uh, you know, fairly and, and do it right, because if Trump has to play hardball with these people – I mean, obviously, it's the last thing he wants to do. I mean, there, there's things he, he can do before we get to that point. But if it comes to that, he, he's not going to back down. We've seen this time and time again from this president. When he has to strike, he will strike. Um, but, you know, to, to take into consideration reasons, he's probably not wanting to close the border at this point and, and jump right to that uh, for probably various reasons. One, obviously, it's a burden on 
certain economical things in, in our country and, and, you know, what we do with Mexico. Uh, the economy, it, it affects it. You know, we have, we have people that are employed down at the border and, and employed in certain parts. And, and I, I think that if, that if it got closed, I think there would be certain layoffs. I could be wrong, uh, but, you know, and you look at the trade. Trade's a big one. Uh, we have, you know, a lot of trade deals with Mexico and different things with Mexico that if we closed the border and went into this sort of situation, you know, many were saying that there would be some difficulties uh, econo- economically, you know, with the trade. Uh, and, and, I, and I could see that. I mean, that makes total sense. Um, but at the same time, uh, our safety is the most important thing. And uh, I'm surprised that uh, Trump, you know, didn't uh, – stick with his, uh, you know, statement earlier in the week when he said the border is more important uh, than, than, our, than the economy with, with, uh, with, trade, with trade in Mexico. So obviously he cares about our safety, but giving them a year, I could see giving them a little extra time, but giving them a year, I, I don't know if that's pushing it a little bit. You know, I, I wonder if there's certain people whispering in Trump's ear. I mean, obviously I know Trump's, Trump makes his own decisions and, and has – you know, the ultimate power and say, but I worry bad people are influencing him. Anyways, I want to play this clip of uh, what he said earlier today uh, in regards to the border shutdown. Uh, One, four. We're about to hear from President Trump in the cabinet room, making a lot of comments on all the issues of the day. Let's listen in as he talks now about the Mueller report and other issues. Let's listen. Trade's coming along well. We're having a big meeting this afternoon. I think you folks are going to be at it for a little while, at least. Uh, The vice premier is here and lots of top people from China. They very much want to make a deal. We'll see what happens. It's got to be a good deal. It's got to be a great deal. It's got to be a great look. We've been losing over many years, four, five, six hundred billion dollars a year. We're losing a few years ago, 200 routinely to China. We can't do that. We're going to turn it around. It's got to be a great deal. If it's not a great deal, we're not doing it. But it's going very well. Uh, top officials are here. And, uh, you know, we're very well along on the deal. It's a very complex deal. It's a very big deal. It's one of the biggest deals ever made, maybe the biggest deal ever made. It'll be uh, a great deal for our farmers. Uh, technology, intellectual, property theft. Everything is covered. There's not a thing that's not covered. We could have made a quickie, but we're in a very good position. Our economy is way up. China is not way up. And uh, we're going to either make a very good deal or we're not going to make a deal at all. But I think it looks like the deal is moving along very nicely. So I think you're going to meet me and we're going to say hello to the media for a little while sometime after 2 o'clock. Okay? Thank you, everybody. Yeah, a lot of good things are happening with Mexico. Mexico understands that uh, we're going to close the border or I'm going to tariff the cars. I'll do one or the other and probably start off with the tariffs. That'll be a very powerful incentive because Mexico has the strongest immigration laws anywhere in the world. Uh, they don't have courts like we do. We have a stupid system of courts. It's the craziest thing in the world. We could be the only country that has it. You put a foot on the property. You put a foot into the United States. Congratulations. Go get Perry Mason to represent you. You end up with a court case. And then they release you, and you come back four or five years later, but nobody comes back. Two percent come back. 
the not-so-smart ones come back. It's a, the most ridiculous system anyone's ever seen. And we have catch and release, and we have uh, chain migration, where somebody comes in and brings the whole family, bring them all, your grandparents, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins. The craziest thing I've ever seen, put in by Democrats. And the Democrats are going to straighten it out. And if they don't straighten it out, and I predicted this. I mean, I hate to see it, but at least I can say I was right. I told everybody, this is, you have a national emergency at our border. And nobody even talks about drugs, the drugs that are flowing in. So for the last four days, and you actually have covered it to a very minor extent, Mexico has been uh, capturing people and bringing them back to their countries at their southern border. They've been taking people under their very powerful laws. They have the right to do it. And they're bringing them back to where they came from. That's, that's about three days now, I guess, since, frankly, since they heard I was going to close the border. But before I close the border, if uh, Mexico and, and we love Mexico, we love the country of Mexico, we have two problems. We have the fact that they allow people to pour in to our country. We have to stop them. Border Patrol's been incredible. ICE has been incredible. Law enforcement's been incredible. And the other problem is drugs. Massive amounts of a large, most of the drugs, much of the drugs coming into our country come through the southern border in all different ways. Much of it where we don't have walls. The wall is under construction, by the way, large sections. We're going to be meeting, I think, on Friday at a piece of the wall that we've completed, a big piece. A lot of it's being built right now. A lot of it's being signed up right now by different contractors. It's moving along very nicely. But we need the wall. But we need lots of other things. So we need help from Mexico. If Mexico doesn't give the help, that's okay. We're going to tariff their cars coming into the United States. The other thing is because Mexico is such a big source of drugs. Unfortunately, unfortunately, now we have China sending fentanyl to Mexico so it can be delivered into the United States. It's not acceptable. So the second aspect of it is, which you haven't heard before, is that if the drugs don't stop, Mexico can stop them if they want. We're going to tariff the cars. The cars are very big. And if that doesn't work, we're going to close the border. But I think that'll work. That's massive numbers of dollars. So if we don't see uh, people apprehended and brought back to their countries, if we see these massive caravans coming up to our country right through Mexico, coming right through Mexico, like Nothing. Buses are even given to them. The last three days, it hasn't happened since I said we're closing the border. The only thing, frankly, better but less drastic than closing the border is to tariff the cars coming in. And I will do it, just like you, you know I will do it. I don't play games. I'll do it. So we're doing it to stop people. We're going to give them a one-year warning. And if the drugs don't stop or largely stop, we're going to put tariffs on Mexico and products, in particular cars. The whole ball game is cars. It's the big ball game. With many countries, it's cars. And if that doesn't stop the drugs, we close the border. Because Mexico last year, and over for many years, just like China, except China numbers are even bigger. Uh, and I don't blame China, and I don't blame Mexico if they can get away with it. I blame the people that used to sit in this seat because they should have done something about it. And I'm not just talking about President Obama. I'm talking about many presidents. 
They should have done something about it. So if Mexico doesn't do what they can do very easily, apprehend these people coming in, and they can do it in a much more humane fashion, why should they walk up 2,000 miles and then be brought back? They can stop them right at their southern border, right where they come into Mexico. And they have unbelievable immigration laws where they have the right to do it. The most powerful in the world. As good as you can have. And they're going to do it. And if they don't do it, we're going to tax the cars. And if that doesn't work, we're going to close the borders. But we're also going to do something having to do with tariffs on drugs. Because not only are hundreds of thousands of lives a year being ruined in our country, but numbers of people are dying that you wouldn't believe. I mean, We'll lose one military personnel, and it's a front-page story. And yet we have 100,000 people. People don't even know the number. They say 77,000. They say 72,000. Any number they give, you can guarantee to raise it. And if the drugs don't stop, we're going to put tariffs on. It also costs our country at least $500 billion through our southern border. $500 billion. So we will put tariffs on if they don't apprehend, and ultimately we're going to give a period of time. But if in a year from now drugs continue to pour in, we're going to put tariffs on. Now, we have a deal, USMCA, it's all done. They're going to have to live with it, okay? They're going to have to live with it. I'm not trying to be unfair. They're going to have to live with it. The USMCA is a great deal for everybody. But this is more important to me than the USMCA. So they're going to have to live with it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Tell you one thing, it's a great deal. They don't pass it as purely political. That's all. The USMCA, everybody wants to see it passed. But we'll see. Whatever they want to do is okay with me. Thank you. So there you have it, guys. Um, I will say this. You know, Trump is absolutely right, and I said this on my show the other night with this, this immigration crisis. This has been an ongoing cycle for many, many years that past leaders should have dealt with and should have uh, put, the, put the kibosh on it. But they didn't, and they just let it keep building up, and it, now it's this horrible epidemic. And I also want to say, you know, Trump, he always delivers somehow or some way, you know, he miraculously always delivers, and he's always got a strategy, and he's always 100 steps ahead of everybody. So I trust him. You know, I'm going to put my trust in him. He has not let me down yet, and, uh, you know, I say on my show all the time, and I'll say it again, in, in, in a two-year time frame, he's fulfilled 80% of his agenda, his promises. Most presidents, when they leave office after eight years, don't even fulfill 10% of their agenda. So, I mean, it's unbelievable what Trump's doing. I want to go to Kevin. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Your thoughts. All right. Well, um, so Trump said it himself about how he would need to sideline the USMCA trade deal in order to uh, make these embargoes happen. Well, uh, you were mentioning earlier about these bad actors that have been whispering in Trump's ear. And I know exactly who that bad actor is. And it's the person that had negotiated this trade deal. Uh, that would be Jared Kushner. Uh, he made it happen. And it's globalist. Uh, Mexico was so proud and so happy about this trade deal 
they had awarded Jared Kushner the Golden Aztec Eagle Award. Uh, this is the highest award a non-Mexican citizen can ever obtain, and it was because of this trade deal. Well, uh, Trump is not able to uh, do these tariffs, you know, without getting rid of this trade deal. And, you know, it seems to me that he's picking the economy before he's picking the American people. Uh, it's, it's a really tough uh, position he's in, and I don't see anything that's going to happen that would prevent this fentanyl coming in, these drugs, these tens of thousands of illegal aliens that come through. Um, it's, it's a really sticky uh, situation we're in, and I, I would really like Trump to you know act now because uh, Mexico has done immeasurable damage to us already. Um, I, I don't think they're going to respond to these warnings, and I think at this point it's starting to sound like idle threats. I mean, it's the car industry, so what? I mean, we could live without, you know, cheap cars. What we really need is to protect our citizens. So I, I'm in a very worried position right now, Worry. I hear you. I hear you, and, and I think that's understandable and, and makes sense because, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I want to go to Bill, and then I'm going to go to Daryl. But Bill, go ahead. In Texas. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't think Trump is saying, you know, Mexico do whatever you want to do for the next year, and then if you haven't fixed it in a year, then we're going to have problems. I think Trump understands one thing is is to really seal off every mile of that border, like we're talking about. He'd need, you know, 30 to 90 days. I don't, I don't know the mechanics of it exactly, but somewhere in there. So that gives him time. Let's say that Trump today made the decision he's going to seal it. He's still got 30 or 60 days to play with Mexico and say, look, you do this and you do that. You know, you don't know what phone calls Trump's made to Mexican leaders and says, look, it's going to take me this long to seal the border, and I will. And unless I see significant change in you, and like he touched on, it, it hasn't. You know, they haven't let buses and these caravans go in three days. So, I think that's a, an aspect of it. But, you know, the the border affects what twenty twenty five percent of the the American population. So it's a it's kind of in a catch twenty two. If you really seal that border today, you're talking about a, you know millions of Americans that are, are going to be at hurt in, in a way that I don't think, you know, I, I don't, you know, we can't calculate the scale, but so it's, it, there's a political aspect to it that, that you have to reasonably apply into this, this dynamic. So I, I don't, you know, I'm, it's, you know, nobody's got the answers and Trump, you know, Trump's trying to find the answers and we try to find the answers, but Till you, you know, I think that by making Mexico fix the problem, and you know, again, we don't know what kind of hard talks he's had with them, but I bet he has. Then, right. you know, if you can get if you can get it shut down, but then in, in the grand scheme of things, we got what twenty to twenty-two million illegals here. So let's say that it does take a year. That means, and we and we say that our numbers of a million in a year happen. That's not going to be the the straw that that breaks the camel's back. And after that end of the year, if there's a fix to that for all 23 million men, then you know that's that's something that we're going to have to live with and understand. That's just how it's going to have to be. And I was reading, I was reading today, the Department of Homeland Security has released more than 17,000 illegal aliens into the United States in the last 12 days. 
I, I mean, this is a national emergency. I don't know how we can just let this slide. I mean, this is, this is scary stuff. I want to go to um, Daryl. Daryl, go ahead. Hey, so really, really great discussion. Um, you know, I want to give another shout out to uh, to Kevin DeKuyper. In case you guys didn't catch this earlier, very, very impressive gentleman over there. Just started a new group, Nationalist United. Uh, really exciting group. You guys are going to want to check that out. And Kevin, um, both of your comments have been really excellent from from the entire guest uh, panel thus far. And I think an important important thing to recognize here is that. Uh, the, the conversation that Trump is having and the premise that he's using for these actions is, is slightly different from the conversation that we're having here. Trump is focusing primarily on the economics and the security factor of the border, the direct security, drugs, uh, and, and, you know, and, and weaponry and these types of things in the economics. And, and when you look at what he's done, and, and I think that that was a, you know, a very positive statement, and these are some measured steps that are gonna, going to do good things to protect us in terms of, again, the economics and the, the physical security and these types of things. I think where you're getting some frustration from the base is that uh, there's another element of the conversation that is not being addressed by, by the administration. And, and that's really specifically the conversation about, about the demographics and the cultural and ethnic change that's being forced on the country. So, you know, the, these things, I don't get as frustrated with this type of stuff from Trump as I think a lot of people, other people do, because I, I sort of recognize that, at least in my opinion, and, I, and anyone is welcome to correct me on this, uh, you know, this was not really something that Trump ever really spoke to uh, very specifically. It, it may have been something that people may have read into his message, but, you know, he has a pretty traditional American nationalism approach. And from that perspective, you know, these are these are measured responses. And, and it's also easier, I think, to sit back here because I don't want to be overly critical of him because certainly I would be doing things very differently. I would be doing things much more aggressively. I would be instituting uh, what I would refer to as proactive immigration policy as opposed to defensive uh, policy. But at the same time, you know, there's a system in place, and he's in there. He is our voice. And he is he is fighting this thing. It's certainly better than what we've been getting. Um, it's a situation right now where we're talking about gradations of slowing a negative process. And we still haven't gotten to that point yet where we're actually doing things positive. And there's certainly reason to be frustrated for that. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, we are we are seeing incremental movement. And, and even though this isn't what I necessarily want to see, and I don't think this is what our audience really wants to see, I think that we can all step back and recognize that the conversation is moving in a positive direction, and we're maybe getting to a point where we're closer to, to something proactive. And, of course, time is limited on these things. But, again, my perspective with Trump was always that this was really more of a a stay of an execution, essentially, and uh, that we've sort of bought some time. And I think that the conversations that we're having here are very relevant, and I think that we want to continue to to move things proactively. And the question is, do, do we want to lash out at this administration? Uh, how do we make ourselves heard? There's different ways of approaching that, and I, and I don't really think that there's a, a right or wrong approach to that at this point. I think that we have different voices contributing in different ways to this conversation. Uh, you know, from this administration, for me, with my expectations, I, I'm frankly 
I'm getting more than what I expected from this administration. So I don't have that disappointment, uh, even though it's definitely not going as far as I would like it to go. I think that we are seeing some things, and I think that it's important that we keep applying that pressure, but we do so in a way that doesn't become antagonistic with the administration because we still want to have that positive relationship so that we can continue to have a, a dialogue with it. Right. Very well said. Very well said. Um, I do want to take a quick commercial, and then we will be right back with our um, guests. Um, I, I want to let I want to let Bill, Bill. Do you want to respond real quick? Any final thoughts on this topic before we go to commercial? No, I I agree that you know we, we're seeing a lot more than than we really had ever hoped for. You know, you said it yourself. He's accomplished eighty percent of his thing. What president's ever done that? So it, it right. you know, it's like I said, the, the it's it's you know, the, if this border problem doesn't get solved tomorrow, it's it's not going to in the grand scheme of things, it, it's not going to you, you can't fix it tomorrow, but you can fix it permanently. And I think that's more what Trump's looking at. And, and I again, I think that that, you know, he's, he, he, like I said, you can't close that border tomorrow. It, it'd take you 30 to 60 days to close, what, 1,600 miles of, of border? So you're talking about thousands of people, you know, being immobilized and, and troops and, and nation, you know, National Guard and police officers, and, and they're pulled away from other duties. And so it, it, it's not as simplistic as closing the door and locking it. Um, and yeah. I, I think that this, this being, you know, this tough talk is probably one – what we're hearing on the news is probably one sentence out of a conversation that he's had with these Mexican officials. Right. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, let, let's, go to, let's go to commercial, and uh, we'll be right back, everybody. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, Skyray Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at Skyray Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaysecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. And we are back. This is the Rory Sodder Show, coast to coast, worldwide, listened to in 22 different countries on over 60 online platforms. Everybody, if you missed any past episodes, you can find our show all over the Internet, as well as visit our new media site, the next, N-E-X-G-E-N-U-S-A.com. Our first guest tonight uh, is a very popular guy, uh, and he's also running for Congress, uh, activist, political strategist, and congressional candidate for New York's 22nd District, Franklin Sager. How are you, sir? Welcome to the show. I'm outstanding, Rory. Thanks for having me on tonight. Absolutely. Um, since it's your first time on the show, uh, please tell us about yourself. Um, I always want to ask my guests when they first come on, you know, how it all started, you know, your adventures, uh, you know, the different chapters, the, the life you've led, stuff like that. Sure. So I grew up in upstate New York, right outside uh, in Broome County, right outside of Binghamton, New York, where 
Uh, I grew up and went to school, and after college, I uh, decided that I wanted to work in the business field, and so I worked for the American International Group for about 15 years, where I worked in risk management and uh, financial services. And after that, they had the uh, subprime crisis that happened in 2008, and it was a time where I really reevaluated a lot of the choices in my life and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and decided to go uh, and become a teacher. And so I've been teaching high school the last six years. I taught for three years in the private sector and uh, private school sector, and now the last three years in the public school, and I've really enjoyed it. And I've always had a passion for politics. It started at 11 years old. Uh, and, and I'll have to tell you, Rory, I'm a bit of a nerd. So uh, at 11 years old, I would, I literally went in my neighborhood and handed out flyers for uh, uh, Ronald Reagan as he was running against uh, Mondale. And so that was my sort of first idea into politics, my first little venture in. And I've been a conservative my whole life. And, and I really think that right now, over the next four years, that America is at a crossroads. I think that right now is a very critical time because we're going to decide in the next four years who we are as a people whether we're going to go down the road of socialism, if we're going to go down the road of uh, the problems that a lot of these other countries in the world have went through with they, when they've privatized things like uh, 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 the healthcare system and whatnot, or are we going to allow uh, capitalism to continue to rule our economy and to be part of the economy that created the greatest wealth in history? Wow, very well said. Um... And uh, so you're so you're running in 2020. Uh, is this your first time running? It is. And uh, I'll tell you, I, so I decided to run right now. Again, I, th- I think it's a critical time. And one of the things is as upset I am is with the obstruction that's happened with the Democratic Party today that sort of blocked our president at every every step he makes that just refused to let him have any sort of victory if they could help it. I'm also uh, I, I was really uh, affected largely by the fact that for the first two years of this administration, we had a Republican House and a lot of the Republicans in Congress also uh, didn't help him. You know, I think of it's amazing. You said in the last segment that uh, you know, 80 percent of his, his agendas went through. That's amazing. When you consider the, some of the obstacles that he's been around, the, the Democrats have obstructed him at every turn that he's went to. And then, he, of course, he had the whole Mueller report hanging over him for the last year and a half, the, the collusion delusion, as, as the president says. And so uh, it's amazing that he's got as much done as he can. But I, I just think if we actually had more Republicans on board in Congress over the first two years, what could we have done with uh, health care and some other things that, that are really important to Americans today? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, he's done way more than anyone in history. I've never seen anything like it. This guy's a miracle worker, like I've said uh, many times. I mean, he is, you know, I even get religious with this, uh, Franklin. I even get religious. I I think he's something straight out of the Bible, because what other person is capable of what he can do? I mean, this is unreal. This is like a godsend, you know? Oh, I absolutely agree with you. In fact, uh, when he when he first came down the escalator and announced his run, uh, I think there was 17 Republicans in the race, and I immediately said to my wife, uh, "This is the person we're going to back, and we're going to we're going to do everything we can here." Of course, in upstate New York, uh, I live in a district that Trump carried by 16 points in 2016, so we're fortunate to have a lot of conservatives, but. As you know, most of New York doesn't necessarily share that that feeling, and so uh, even while many of these other candidates were were going around and having uh, rallies and things like that, we supported Trump right from the get go, and and we believe the same thing that that he's the right man. America's amazing country because it seems like that every uh, every few decades we have a way of of electing just the right leader for just the right time for just the right challenges in our country. I believe Trump is just that over time. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's um, I'll tell you, just the way the way everybody has tried to take him down, and, and he's defeated everyone, the establishment, the media, nobody, and all these politicians try to take him down, and it never works. This guy is invincible. This guy's unbelievable. It's it's amazing, and uh, we we smile every day when we think about it. And uh, so we're really proud to be be Trump supporters. Uh, I, I, every once in a while, uh, I'll be traveling around, and I'll notice that sometimes people get a little offended because I'll wear my uh, MAGA hat. And uh, I just we're just real so proud to be supporters of the president. And we really believe that it's important to have more uh, Congress people go to Congress who are willing to support this president, to stand behind him and his agenda and his leadership. And so I want to go to Congress because I want to I want to be an ally. I want to help him uh, to continue. Continue the, the great things he's doing with the economy, but also to, to end some of the obstruction that's happening in Congress today. And, and so, Franklin, l- let me ask you, uh, how many people are running against you at this point? There's one Republican that has uh, announced his, his candidacy as well. So right now there's two of us, uh, although it's early on, so who knows. But uh, uh, my opponent right now in the Republican primary is uh, – uh, George Phillips, who's run four or five other times uh, for the seat as well. And so I, I do, I do want to say that uh, I'm not, while I may be the presumptive nominee for the party, I, I'm not at all taking this uh, nomination for granted. I'm working hard every day to earn the support of every Republican and every voter in the district. Well, man, I, I love everything you're saying, and, and uh, you, you're very well uh, educated. you got great insight and great expertise. Um, I want to I wanna ask you, um, so – who, who's it, correct me? Who's in that seat right now? Somebody, a lifelong politician? Um, no, Anthony Brindisi, who has been, uh, he was in the New York State Assembly for several terms, and uh, he just was elected to uh, the Congress for the first time in 2016. It had been a Republican seat for quite a while, and uh, he was elected recently uh, uh, in 2016. Uh, is seen as somewhat of a moderate in New York, but uh, that's pretty liberal nationwide, if you understand what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, so I want to I wanna ask you, and then, then my co-hosts have a lot of different comments, and I know they want to ask you stuff. But I want to ask you, uh, you heard the first segment. What's your thoughts on this whole border situation? I'm sure you've been paying close attention to it. Sure. Well, um. You know, so I, obviously there is a lot of impact that it would be to the economy if you shut the border down. So I understand why he made the decision that he did. Uh, I think he is concerned about our security. And, and again, it's, it goes back to originally my, my thought is what we could have done in the border as far as a wall and some of his original plans back in the first two years if more Republicans had been on board with that. And, and in some sense, some of the Republicans who were voted out in the last election uh, can, can thank the Republicans who, did, who weren't on board with that agenda. And so it is a complicated and it's a, and it's a pretty nuanced uh, a debate. But I think that uh, the president really needs to continue to, to put the American people first. We need to make sure that uh, we're slowing the speed of illegals. Right now it's a crisis on our southern border. And, it, and there needs to be a three-pronged approach. We need a border. Border walls work. We all know that. Uh, and somehow the left has sort of grabbed a hold of that and said that, because we want to build a wall or because we want to actually have a country with borders, that that makes us heartless. And, and, and the president said before, it's not that, it's not that we, do, we don't care about the people on the other side. It's just that we care more about the people inside. And so I'm proud to say that uh, I'm not ashamed to, to say I'm a nationalist. I believe that America and the American people should come first. It doesn't mean that we don't have compassion. And I think we need to have compassion 
but we need to take care of our own people. Uh, here in New York State, they just recently passed a budget, and I don't know how familiar you are with the new uh, budget that just passed last weekend in the dead of night, but Governor Cuomo is now going to be the highest paid governor in the nation. Uh, he, the last item on the agenda in the budget vote was to give him a nice big fat raise, which uh, I've spent most of the last week lobbying against this legislation, but uh, they've, they've pretty much created a sanctuary state here in New York. They put all this extra money into making sure that we can't deport illegals. They changed the penal laws in the budget so that uh, the people who create uh, commit misdemeanors can't go to jail for more than 363 days. That way they can't be deported because it's one day short of, of having to report nationally. And they've actually taken a lot of power out of the hands of the police. So the police now aren't able to report to national uh, uh, federal authorities when they find illegals. And so uh, they've also made a, a program here in New York State where they're giving a lot of tax dollars away to illegals. They're giving them free college education here in New York. And uh, we're, we're just uh, – it's, it's, it's crazy what's happening here in New York State. So I've been spending a lot of time lobbying against that. And I think that uh, the fact that there's so many benefits here for illegal aliens uh, that aren't going to the middle class. We're seeing people depart the state in droves. We're seeing the middle class evaporate. Our property taxes are increasing. Our income taxes are increasing. And uh, it's, it's a sad state here. Oh, I hear you. Um, I want to go to Mike Peters. Mike Peters in New York, go ahead. Yes, how are you doing? Um, and I wish you luck with your campaign. I'm down here in Westchester. I'm closer to Mordor than you are. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty down. But I was a supporter of Claudia. Yeah. So, uh, and I have a feeling that when you see that piece of work, that they did something. They did something with the vote. I don't know how they did it, how they staged it or anything else, but I, I'm convinced that even being down here, that they stacked it and they played a game with her. And that was the only reason that she lost this time, and which wasn't fair. I, but this is the game that they play. So I totally – I know I'm not the only one that doesn't trust uh, the Democrats with the games and the voting, and we've lost uh, – I think American voters have lost a lot of confidence in the whole system, whether it's the judicial system or the voting or anything else. And myself being, um, I'm one of the uh, district leaders uh, for the Republicans down here. I've seen it myself where I had to have a machine locked down that I personally voted for that was in my block in my district. And that I voted on. And when it came time at the end of the night, when it spit out the numbers, it said that this person that ran for Supreme Court um, had no votes. And I know that was a lie because my wife and I voted on that very machine. And I had them lock the machine down. And they had no answers for me of how that happened. So I have a lot of reservations about it. I mean, there are a lot of games. They're trying their best to take, get a foothold and get control. They don't care that the, that the district and the people that live in the area are predominantly Republican or Second Amendment. They don't care. They're going to do whatever they want, import whatever, whoever they want to try to get control of those districts. And um, I, I hope they're kept Republican for whatever good it's going to be. Um, because we are outnumbered in this state. It's pretty bad. I think basically, I, I have a different view of it from being close to New York City like this. I, sometimes I feel like I'm in Berlin in 1945. And, um, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, but good luck with it. Good luck. Thanks uh, is a lot. Claudia going to run again? Is, is Claudia going to run don't... again, do you know? Well, I mean, only, only she knows that, but I, I don't believe so. 
And uh, but I was a big supporter of Claudia. I voted for her last time, and uh, she was she was not one of those Republicans that didn't get behind the president. She was uh, she was a good Republican. She did support uh, the president's work and in, in border security, getting back to the border. She was she was for building a wall, adding additional funds for that. Uh, she did great things for the you know the tax reform. She was instrumental in the tax reform that was able to pass nationwide. And so uh, I was really uh, proud to support uh, Claudia Tenney in the last election. Yeah. Yep, she was outspoken, and that's the type of politician that we need. We don't need any more bullshit artists. We've had enough of the bullshit artists. And you know that old thing about where we wanted Paladino put in there with a baseball bat walking through the uh, the Capitol building? Well, basically, yeah. that's what we want out of Trump. We want Trump walking through the White House with and the Pentagon with a baseball bat. We've had enough of it. So hopefully we get more politicians like that. No. Rory, go ahead. I'm sorry to take it like that. I don't want to sound like Archie no, Bunker you're, down you're here. No, you're good. But. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. All right, I get to ask a question, right, Uh, to this uh, Congress congressional candidate, right? Okay, so uh, I noticed that after the State of the Union address that it's uh, it's becoming a madhouse more and more as uh, each uh, congressional, um, uh, I don't know, what's it called? Each Congress um, is becoming just more ridiculous, especially after seeing all those women and Democrats wearing white. Um, And it seems like they always uh, vote for the, I mean, they always vote in the direction of the uh, majority, uh, the, um, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. So uh, I see that with the Republicans, too. They always vote, in, for the most part, in the direction of Mitch McConnell. Uh, what would you do in, in the case, uh, party or uh, politics, or would you speak up against you know, your own party when they're doing things wrong? Uh, how would you act? Absolutely. So first of all, I'm not a, a career politician, of course. And uh, and so my, my one vow I made to my wife when I decided to run, I said, if, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected to Congress, uh, my first job is not going to be to make sure I hire enough people to make sure I get reelected the next time. And so I think the most important thing, you know, our founding fathers envisioned a, a class of citizen servants who went to, to Washington to serve their constituents, to serve the American people. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's nice that the elections are every two years because it, it sort of makes you more accountable. But unfortunately, what happens is you get into Congress, and a lot of times you, you, you are able to do something for a couple of months, and now all of a sudden now you have to go do a bunch of campaigning, and, and you have to immediately start raising money to run again. And so, uh, yeah, I'm somebody who will uh, always uh, stand up for the constituents and what I believe in. Uh, not only am I a, a strong conservative, but I'm also a Christian, and I'm not a, afraid to say that my faith plays a lot of, uh, a big part of uh, who I am. And so I'll always stand up for what I think is right and, and to act with integrity, even when it's not necessarily the most popular thing, especially with my party. But I can tell you that uh, I definitely want to go to help support the Trump agenda. I believe I can't think of any policy uh, positions, major policy positions he's taken that I disagree with. Uh, I, I think that sometimes uh, he may uh, – it may be better for him sometimes to put his Twitter account away because there's sometimes he says something and I'll tell you sometimes it distracts from, from the, all the great success that we're having. We have the lowest unemployment in, in many generations, the lowest African-American unemployment. We have, uh, you know, a great GDP growth. We have all kinds of things going on, you know, in business school, one of the things they, that the professors always tell you is that tariffs aren't good. It's not good for free trade, but we're finding that uh, I, I love the fact that Trump is standing up to some of these countries, especially what he's doing to China. Uh, the fact that he's actually standing up and, and he will use tariffs if necessary. And he's putting America first. And, and that's, that's really what I want to do. I want to go to Congress to put Americans first, and, and, and especially the people of the upstate New York and, and the people of central New York who would send me there. Well said. Very well said. Uh, I want to go to Bill. Bill, go ahead. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask, what is your thoughts, or, or how are it, it, you? You don't have to convince me, and you don't have to convince the the, the Trump base. But how do you convince the Democrats and the liberals with which you'd serve to change their thinking in order to rectify the situations that we have going on right now? Sure. Well, the first thing is that uh, while you while you try to get the message out, you have to understand that there's people right now that no matter what you say, there's people I'll talk to on the street, and before I'll be able to even talk to them, before we'll even be able to have a conversation. They'll ask me, do you support Trump? Do you think Trump's a good president? And if you say yes, they don't want to hear anything else you have to say. And so you're not going to convince those people. I, I, you know, so there's people, like you said, on the far right base that, that aren't going to need convincing. They're not going to vote for whoever the Democrat is, and there's going to be some Democrats that aren't going to vote for whoever the Republican is. But I believe that there is a good amount of people in the center that actually are open-minded, that they want to hear solutions that they want to hear what's going to work. And so I'm going to have honest conversations with, with moderates on both parties and with independents where we can talk about things that we all agree on. We all agree that the middle class is really uh, disappearing, in, especially here in New York, but all over the country. Uh, we see that uh, there's a lot of disparity between what we, the benefits that we give to the poorest Americans. Uh, right now, if you're a very poor American, there's a lot of programs to send your kids to college where they can go to college and get a good education. Uh, but if you're in the, and, and of course, rich people can afford to send their kids to college, but it's the middle class that are, are really are hurting right now. And so uh, if you're a family of, uh, with maybe a husband and a wife that both work and, and together you make about seventy seventy five thousand dollars $75,000 a year, uh, there's very little help for you to send your kids to college. And so you're in that, that gray area where you don't have a lot of money, and hopefully you could save a little bit throughout the years, but it's very difficult. And so those are the people that I want to talk to, people who are have a difficult time uh, taking care of uh, health care needs where, you know, if you get sick all of a sudden, that can be a catastrophic uh, uh, situation for your family. And, and they're worried about sending their kids to college, and they're worried about their property taxes. I was just recently at a convention where I went down and spoke in, uh, down in Vanderbilt University, down in Nash. Nashville, and uh, I was talking to a gentleman who just bought a built a brand new house down there for about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He told me his taxes were nine hundred dollars a year, and uh, I said, "Well, that house up here in, where I live, up in New York State, that your taxes would be about twenty five thousand dollars a year." And so uh, it's the middle class that are really being hurt. And so I, I want to appeal to those people, the, the independent people who, who aren't so partisan, but instead they want to know what we're really going to do to find some solutions. And I think that the, uh, the Trump tax cut, I've done a lot of taxes this year. I, I think I said before I'm a little bit of a nerd. So one of the things I do is when I finish a degree, I've been in the habit of starting another one because I love to learn. I read about 200 pages a day. I'm an avid reader. And so I'm just finishing up an, a degree in accounting. And so I've been helping a bunch of people with their taxes. And without exception, Every single person whose taxes I've done has seen a, seen a better effective tax rate under uh, the Trump administration than they had before. And so uh, we just want to convince people that you, they need to get on board with that because we need to save the middle class in America. I, I understand, well but it's not it. I understand, but what I'm you you have 260 or 270 people in Congress that that you it's not the people on the street worrying about their their children's college. That, that those people that are in Congress and Democrats and liberals are going to do whatever they want, regardless of what their what their voting base says. And we've seen that it's been prevalent through the last, you know, 20 years that that's exactly what they do. You have to work with those 260 or 270 people. And what I want to know is is how you're going to get those people, people on the street, but the people who are actually going to write these laws onto the to write scripts so that we can correct the the problems of this country. 
Sure. And I, I think a, a lot of that is all about relationships. So it's about going down and making relationships with people. It's, it's being able to sit down and, and uh, being able to discuss some things. And, and, and that is a difficult situation. I'll agree with you because there are some people who you know, they benefit what America loses. And unfortunately there are far left people like uh, our Congresswoman here from downstate New York uh, in Ocasio-Cortez who has, you know, no matter what you say that would be reasonable, she has all these ideas that are unreasonable. And so I want to bring common sense to Congress, but you have to f- seek out those people in the middle, those people who might be uh, uh, Democrats, but might be a little bit more moderate. They might be from a, from districts where, where Trump did win. They may be from districts where uh, there are conservative constituents that they want to meet. And those are the people you have to have common sense conversations with. That you can sit down and say, how can I help you? And how can you help me? And how can together we, we can advance the, the middle class and how together can we uh, move yeah. America forward, and, and that's only done through relationships and times. And so I want to build those relationships, and I, that's one of the things I've always Darryl, been go good at. Daryl, go ahead. Yeah, well, well, Franklin, now really nice to hear from you. Are, are you near the Poconos at all? No, I'm upstate um, near rail. If you look on the map in New York, if you look at where Binghamton uh-huh. is, it's about an hour south of Syracuse, right on the border, so uh, right on the southern tier of New York. I got a little vacation home up there. I was going to say you guys should come up. We'll fry up some steaks or something. Uh, but uh, <laughs> okay. I, I like hearing. I like. I like hearing that you're a proud Christian. I, I'm sure you'll agree with me that the the filth that we've been seeing from Hollywood is uh, beyond beyond unacceptable. I, I would imagine you'd yeah. agree with me on that. Is that correct, Franklin? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so so my question for you, would you join me in pledging to apply meaningful standards on all artistic content out of Hollywood and, and also moving to uh, criminalize and ban pornography? Ooh. Oh, well, well, I certainly think that uh, pornography is, is uh, something that is very pervasive in our society. In fact, even in our churches, where and by the way, every once in a while, I, I have the pleasure and the, the, the fortunate privilege to be able to preach from the pulpit a few times a year. And uh, they say that statistics tell us now that uh, even one in four Christians who attend church regularly are involved regularly in some sort of pornography, whether it be Internet or, yeah. or whatever. And so we, I know that this is a problem, and I think that uh, it's one of those things that – it, you know, back in back in the days when I was a child, if someone wanted to do that, you had to sort of go to the CD sort of t- town and and walk in a building, and, and so it wasn't as easy to do that. Nowadays, anybody can you know close their close their doors and turn off the lights and watch it on any internet. And so, uh, I agree with you that we need to have a, a much stricter uh, regulations when it comes to pornography. We need to take especially take strong steps to make sure that uh, it's it's not easily available to our children uh and part of that is is you know parents uh we have to we have to do a better job as parents to make sure that uh we're always vigilant and it's easy nowadays for for children to be able to get onto content that they shouldn't and so uh i i agree yeah. with you that we need to be better regulation on that and on pornography we, for sure and, 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 and what about and we got to move yeah. on yeah, just a, just a real quick follow-up. So, yeah, the pornography is really just, just one of many elements. Uh, we have a situation where essentially every channel on TV, with the exception of Fox News, directly insults traditional Americans and traditional Christians on a 24-7 basis. Uh, what steps would you take to, uh, to, to push back on them and, and apply some meaningful standards towards their behaviors? 
Well, I think that, you know, the problem is that, that we have is that uh, while you and I might be able to sit down over a bowl of soup and maybe we could agree on what those standards are, uh, many other people who call themselves Christians would have a very different standard. And so it was very difficult to identify exactly uh, what where the regulation should come. Uh, but I would say that uh, we can one of the things we can do is definitely uh, we should all be supporting uh television shows and movies when we go to the theaters that, that celebrate our values. And so my, one of the things my wife and I do is we, we try to get out and we try to celebrate when we, when we see Christian movies that come out or, or even movies that just uh, celebrate traditional values. And so uh, we certainly, we, we believe that and we've taught all of our children traditional values. And, and so that, that's something that we would continue to do by example and through leadership. So, so is morality uh, subjective? Is that your stance? No, I don't believe that morality is subjective, but I, what I'm saying is that I don't think that we necessarily can codify one person's morality. Uh, and so, in other words, uh, I think you would probably agree with me if you're a Christian that uh, you, you probably would agree with me that adultery is wrong, I'm sure. right? We, we could agree on that. Yeah. But, but as a congressman, yeah, I, wouldn't wanna, I wouldn't want to create laws to outlaw or to criminalize adultery because uh, I don't think that you can – I don't think you can, uh, you know, legislate that kind of morality. But I think that I think we need to have common sense regulations for things, especially when they hurt children. Franklin, the amount of Republicans that are leaving New York State, how is we, that we going got, to Guys, we got to move on, man. I got to go to commercial. Oh, okay. All right. We'll be right back. Sorry. Sorry, Rory. I love you, brother. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly, to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the behind-the-scenes production. Everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. And we are back, the Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast, worldwide. Listen to in 22 different countries on over 60 online platforms. Everybody, we have a great show tonight so far. I, uh, I do want to um, transition onto a, another topic something that's uh, obviously been really bothering all of us and and it's it's just it's sickening how you know somebody can get away with something so malicious 
and so evil, uh, Justy Smollett situation in Chicago, and, and the, the evil prosecutor that was involved with George Soros and Michelle Obama is it right now she's looking at facing 20 years if she's convicted. They're looking into why uh, she suddenly, randomly just let him go. I mean, this guy was indicted 16 felonies, 16 felonies. And, and oh, you're just going to let him walk? Bullshit. There is something seriously wrong here. And anybody that, you know, cares about the justice system and cares about the well-being of our country should be very, very worried, angry, and, I mean, scared. Because if this is what the future is, we have a lot to worry about. Because if Jesse Smollett can get away with something like this, anybody can. And, you know, it, you know, it obviously is backfiring on him in many ways. You know, the TV show Empire has the lowest ratings it's ever had. They, so I don't, I don't know if that show is going to be on much longer. So, you know, his, his whole stunt totally backfired on him. And, you know, it's just – it's one of those things where, you know, his whole narrative and his whole, uh, you know, demeanor towards this whole situation, no accountability – basically playing the race card, playing the victim stance, it's pathetic. I'm tired of it, and Kim Fox, the prosecutor, needs to be held accountable. This is crap. This is crap, and it's crap. And, you know, I, I don't know how anybody just walks from this. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Oh, yes. Well, I was, I think, one of the first people to say that uh, I called it. I knew Jesse was going to get off and, you know, he's getting this uh, award nomination and he's going to get work and everything. Um, it's just what it's not just Illinois, it's pervasive all throughout our country about how uh, I say unjust uh, it is, how much uh, privilege that uh, the left gets because, uh, you know, they own a lot of these uh, institutions, especially in Hollywood and in the legal industry and in the political system, you know, how close he is with uh, Kamala Harris. Um, you know, Kamala Harris had made this anti-lynching bill, uh, and it didn't pass at all. It flopped. I mean, lynching is already illegal. We all know this. But uh, she had to create this hate crime, use Jesse Smollett for it. It failed miserably. Uh, and she pulled some strings and got him out. And uh, he's totally fine now. It's not even more famous than ever. And uh, that's just how the game works now. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, and, you know, there could be federal charges. I don't know yet. Uh, they're talking about it, but uh, it just seems like this guy's getting away with it. There's, there's somebody on the, on the, you know, in the, in the deep. Like, that's what they call I, I believe stuff like this is what the deep state gets involved with. And there's obviously somebody really powerful uh, behind this, uh, you know, that we don't know about. Because, you know, you have George Soros that donated all this money to the prosecutor. Uh, but this was for something separate. Like I, I think it was like a year or two before. But, but still, nonetheless, I mean, this prosecutor had uh, strong affiliations with George Soros, Michelle Obama, all these different people. Uh, Franklin, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I bet you think it's disgraceful. 
Oh, I agree. It's, it's outrageous. And, of course, it's part of the double standard that we know exists on the left. Uh, oh, you, yeah. you just imagine oh, yeah. if this was an actor who was a conservative, this was Stephen Baldwin or someone like that. I mean, he, he probably yeah. wouldn't even get bail. He'd still be in prison, right? Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a double standard. But it, it's also the media is complicit as far as their coverage of this. I was speaking just this afternoon on this very subject with a, a young millennial in my in my district. And, and, she's, and I said to her, you know, can you believe that what's going on? Because she – she had actually asked me, do I watch the show Empire? And when I brought up the Smollett situation, she says, but didn't something really happen to him? She, didn't have any, she had no idea that it was a hoax. And, uh, and so it's, it's not been widely publicized uh, on a lot of other media outlets. And so, no, it's outrageous. There's a double standard involved. In, and I'm hoping as well that the federal authorities get involved. I know there's investigations. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. But uh, uh, certainly justice has not been done to this point. And, and uh, I certainly think that, that it's important that we continue to look into this. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bill, go ahead. I know, I know, Bill, you follow this closely, this story, and it makes you live it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and you, you, could, you can – it's a, the false reality that, that the media and, and, and these people like Smollett create. I mean, you can say Smollett's name for Mueller. It's the same thing. But this guy, this guy, it was an idiot. But what happens when the next guy who's so much of an idiot fakes one of these things? And it goes on and on. It, it won't take very long for them to understand that, that just like the immigration things on the border, they figured out how to break the system. They're going to figure out how to do this too, and that's going to be their way of targeting you. And when you have a blatant uh, abuse of powers and, and abuse of, of her office by doing those things, and, and it's no hidden secret. I mean, my God, it, you, you want to know who's behind the scenes? Obama, uh, Michelle Obama calls her, her, her ex-chief of staff. The ex-chief of staff calls his Fox lady. Next day, he's out. Now, I mean, come on. I mean, and as far as the Soros thing goes, you don't, you don't pay bribes just at the point of wanting something right then. You, you say, I'm going to give you uh, half a million dollars for your campaign this year, but I'm going to come to you sometime, and I'm going to need a favor. And guess what? It came time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so it, you're it, not, yeah. not going to – unless, you know, if, 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 if she's dumb – and and I think that's going to be the the saving grace for this country and and for the FBI and everything else is because she's as dumb as he is to even allow this to to go to trans out into the public in in this type of perception. So I I think that once the the DOJ gets behind the scenes, the the laws that were broken and the and the abuse of power and the abuse of her office and all that will ring true. And I think that that you'll see that. That she'll something will come of it, but but most likely, like every time when it comes to one of these left guys or left people, they're like, well, you get out of office, and then we'll all let bygones be bygones, and they go write a book and sit on some board somewhere. Yeah, no, I I hear you. Uh, I want to go to Mike Peters, and then I want to introduce our our guest, uh, Mike Peters. Go ahead in New York. Go ahead. Hi, I think it's a perfect example of uh, the attitude, the mentality of the liberals that are out there in general. They they don't believe in any accountability. They fear and, and they have no respect whatsoever for the law, for the justice system, nothing for any of the institutions of this country. So everything to them is allowed is it's fair game. You can manipulate anything. You can interpret it. And the law means nothing to them. So they make up their own laws and they feel like there was a, what was it? I had one lady that, uh, 
that told me the other day, uh, she was saying, you know, in, in some ways I think that she said black people should be given a pass and, and they shouldn't be prosecuted for some of these crimes because wow. considering what's happened over all the years, I said, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be <laughs> kidding me. Are you out of your mind? But the, the, the American public, I don't know if it's Ritalin or what it is. They're, they're nuts. Accountability means nothing. So I, I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah, I hear you. I do want to welcome to the show um, popular lawyer, lobbyist, political consultant, and president of Frontiers for Freedom, George Landreth. How are you, buddy? Welcome back. Hey, it's great to be with you. Yeah, it's been, it's been almost a year, man. Uh, what, what's been going on? Tell us uh, what have you been working on. Well, um, you know, we're just fighting the fight here in Washington, um, just as you guys have been talking about all the things that are wrong. You know, the, you look at uh, you look at half the stuff that uh, you know. Like today, we got news that the, we had the fewest number of people now um, applying for unemployment since 1969. Yeah. 1969. So yeah, it was a much smaller country then. So the fact that we're below the numbers of 1969 even though we're a country that's close to 50% bigger, uh, you know, is uh, a real testament to how well the economy has responded to President Trump's uh, agenda. So we, we've been trying to support him there. We've been trying to support him uh, on many of the initiatives he's done to rebuild our military. We spent, um, you know, at least eight years and a little bit more than that, quite frankly, kind of uh, starving our military and, uh, that's not good. You see people like, uh, you know, the, the Chinese and the Russians that have taken advantage uh, of the uh, kind of feckless leadership that we had for eight years. And um, and thankfully, President Trump's turned that around. So those are the kinds of things we work on. We try to support the president in those things. We try to make the case for why that's good policy. And, um, and we try to, if we can, stiffen the spine of uh, people in Congress to be supportive. That's sometimes harder than it sounds. Because they have, sometimes yeah, they have jello for signs out there. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, continue your thought, though. No, I was just saying it's harder sometimes to get Congress to do the right thing than you might think, uh, just because uh, you know sometimes they have uh, you know jello for a spine, and it's hard to stiffen a jello. Hey, uh, George, what do you make of all of this? You know, uh, crap that came out today about how Democrats are demanding. Six years of Trump's tax returns, and they also subpoena the Mueller report. I mean, what are your thoughts on all? They just keep poking, poking, poking. You know, it's like a witch hunt. They're always on fishing expeditions, and they don't stop. It's like it, they didn't get Russian collusion, so now they want to go into his personal finances. They want to go years back to into all his foundations and charities to look at what his kids have done. It's disgraceful. Well, it is pretty amazing, and I agree with you. It's disgraceful. Um, I'm not actually that surprised by it at this point. I, you know, I've got, kind of come to the conclusion that these people are, you know, the truth is if Donald Trump were to resign from office tomorrow, they still wouldn't stop. I mean, these people are um, very focused. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, let, let's just run through some of the things. You mentioned um, the Mueller report. First of all, it contains uh, classified information. It contains um, – it also contains uh, grand jury information, um, both of which would be illegal to put out into the public or in many respects just to give to Congress. Like grand jury testimony is not 
permissible for a variety of reasons. Um, and it's just very interesting. I mean, Gerald Nadler, uh, it's been unearthed uh, 20 years ago or 29 years ago, actually, when he was uh, a much younger and heavier uh, Gerald Nadler because he hadn't had his uh, uh, surgery yet, I guess, to shrink his stomach. But, you know, he was then talking about the importance of grand jury testimony, the importance of not violating, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, today, of course, the exact opposite. Um, so, you know, he's uh, – these people are completely opportunistic. If it, weren't for, if it weren't for double standards, the left would have no standards at all. And uh, I, I don't really know how to uh, – you know, even the, the idea of tax returns. Most of Congress does not make their tax returns public. Under federal law, you have to file a uh, financial disclosure statement. That's under penalty of perjury. Um, but you do not have to present or make public your tax returns. And most don't. But somehow Trump's supposed to. You yeah, know, I mean, yeah. I, I, where, I, are I, where are Schumer's? Can I see those? Yeah, exactly. Because you know, if, if we if we discovered their tax returns and we looked at, at what they've been up to, it would be quite detailed, and we'd get probably a lot of information of all the the dirty stuff they've been involved with for all these years. You know, I'd love to see the Clintons and the Clinton Foundations. I mean, the, that would have all kinds of stuff. We'd have payments from uh, the Russians, uh, Ukra you know, Ukrainians, you name it. They would have all kinds of foreign money coming in that was uh, the direct result of Hillary's Secretary of State duties. Um, that's corrupt. That's illegal. But we aren't able to prove it because we don't have them. So I'd like them. I think they should give those up. You know, it's just uh, you. That's not how we work. You know, you don't get to say I want to see your tax return and then you get to. That's it's a private matter. If you have evidence that someone has committed a crime, go for it, but you don't have the right to demand they give you their personal information. Yeah, oh, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I want to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to come right back, and I want to get uh, the panel's thoughts, and uh, we'll have some more things to go into. We'll be right back, everybody. The Rory Sider Show. Where can you find a burger inspired by flavors from near and far that mixes the smoky with the sass of the South. Combines the sweetness of summer with the tang of the country. The savory, sizzling, unexpected flavors. Well, you can find it at McDonald's. The new Bacon Smokehouse Burger. It's the newest flavor of the signature crafted recipes by McDonald's. All righty, we are back, everybody. The Rory Sauter Show, listened to in 22 different countries on over 60 online platforms. And don't forget, if you miss any past episodes, you can visit our new media site, thenexgenusa.com. I want to play a clip uh, of what Trey Dowdy said in regards, uh, in regards to the report, and then I want uh, to get everybody's reaction. Uh, but everybody's got to hear this. Uh, one, four. Here now, Trey Gowdy, former House Oversight Committee Chairman and Fox News contributor. Good to have you, New York. Yes, Mr. Gowdy, thank, thank you. you very much for being here. Um, so, you know, your reaction to the missing of this deadline, and Jerry Nadler also has said, the chairman has said that, that they're asking him to break his constitutional obligation. And before you answer, I want to sneak in that sound. Let's watch that. 
We need these materials to fulfill our constitutional obligations, uh, period. Our chief constitutional obligation is to hold the president accountable, especially in an instance where the uh, Department of Justice says it cannot hold the president accountable. Those judgments must be made by Congress, not by a political appointee, the attorney general. What do you think about that? Um, I think he's right in this limited regard. It is Congress's responsibility to investigate malfeasance by the president. So, Nadler, go, go right ahead. Uh, Mueller interviewed 500 witnesses. Jared, go ahead and start. Uh, but the executive branch does not have to produce its work product so Congress can then use it against the executive branch. This, this subpoena deadline, I'll be surprised if Barr ever produces everything. And they can go to court, but they will lose in court. What you saw today is for a public consumption. Uh, it's, a, it's a communications war. It's not a constitutional war. That's clear. The executive branch does not have to comply with arbitrary deadlines set by a co-equal branch. All right. So tonight, um, one of the big questions has been whether or not the letter that we saw from Attorney General Barr accurately represented the principal conclusions in the Mueller report. Um, and I think that, you know, most of us have assumed since we know that, that we, we've heard that Mr. Mueller has been kind of integral in that process, as had Rod, Rod Rosenstein, the attorney general, deputy attorney general. But there's a piece out tonight that just crossed moments ago on The New York Times, which says that some of the investigators on the team, on Mueller's team, feel that the portrayal of the president is uh, more positive than they felt in terms of the findings from all of their work over the past couple of years. What do you make of that? Not at all surprising. You have 40 agents and almost 20 lawyers. Um, I'd be shocked if they all were of unanimous opinion. Remember with the Clinton email, Jim Baker disagreed with Jim Comey. He believed up until the very end that they had a case that was prosecutable. So I'm not at all surprised by that. The only thing that matters is whether or not you had sufficient probable cause to criminally charge someone. Um, whether you had uh, some bad acts, some misbehavior. The good thing about the criminal justice system is we have standards. It's beyond a reasonable doubt to get a conviction, but it's probable cause to charge someone. And if you don't have probable cause, how close you came to it is irrelevant. All right. So. Full transparency, you feel that if those arguing in favor of full transparency really mean that, they are also going to want to produce a whole lot of other documents that explain another part of this story. Um, well, those arguing in, in favor of full transparency will not be satisfied with the Mueller report. They will want to see uh, the transcripts from the grand jury interviews. They'll want to see the underlying data. I mean, this same game that's being played now, which is we don't believe Barr summary, they're going to say we don't believe Mueller's report. We want to read these witness interviews for ourselves. So you're then in a position of relitigating the Department of Justice's decision not to charge someone. And if we open that door, if we begin to go down the path where, where you can investigate but there's not enough evidence to charge and then be required to turn over all the incriminating evidence you found, then I don't know why, why we have any evidentiary standards Plus, left. I mean, the, the process just goes around and around because the process is that, that Congress has the right to investigate, to look into it, but they can't charge anyone. What they can do is sort of make a recommendation to charge, and then, then it would go back to the DOJ, who's already handled it, and handed it off to a special counsel for two years, correct? Or they can impeach. And, or they can and, impeach. And, and, and if they're really, if Adam Schiff is really concerned about collusion, um, the collusion that he hasn't been able to identify for the last two years, 
then he can have his own. I mean, Congress has a lot of power. Bring in the same 500 witnesses that Mueller interviewed, but don't take somebody else's work and then second guess it, micromanage it, and pick and choose parts of it you like and don't like to try to use it for political purposes. Hey, Congress, you're a co-equal branch. Go do your own investigation. All right, before I let you go, I gotta ask you one question about a story that we did last night with regard to the security breach at Mar-a-Lago. Does it concern you that the president's other... So there, so there you have it, guys. I mean, you know, and I've said this on the show many times, and I'll say it again. This whole investigation was never about finding... The, the, the Democrats never cared about Russian collusion. They just wanted Trump to be taken down. Same with the, the leftist voters. They never cared about an honest investigation. They wanted to bring down Trump no matter what it took. And, you know, it's, it's disgraceful how, you know, they want to ruin a man's life and, and take him down when he did nothing wrong. And, and we've seen uh, today that uh, new reports are out from places like CNN that, oh, the Mueller report, uh, investigators, people that were on the special counsel, are not happy that Bill Barr, uh, you know, basically cleared Trump. Uh, because apparently, according to the Mueller uh, cronies, th there is evidence of, um, co of somewhat of collusion and uh, crime. But I think that's a complete lie. And that's CNN, again, leading people on a fishing expedition and uh, witch hunt. I mean, let let's face the facts here. You know, they have the worst ratings right now. Tucker Carlson beat them in all of their shows combined. That, that's really sad. And check this out. CNN has not had a single show placed in the top 20 during its first quarter of 2019. If, if that's any indication, I think people are uh, – some people are really fed up and, and know that, uh, you know, CNN was lying most of the time or all the time on this. But there are still a lot of people that are glued to the TV and, and can't get out of their, their uh, you know, jaded ways, unfortunately. Um, I want to go to uh, George. I'll go to you first. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I agree with everything you said except for one thing. You said that uh, Donald Trump hasn't done anything. He did one thing that really is very serious if you're a liberal, and that is he beat Hillary. How dare he? He wasn't supposed well, to go. do that. Did he, did he not get the memo? Um, you know, this was her turn. Um, I think ultimately that's the issue. They're just mad he beat her. And um, so until he's done and moved, you know, after eight years in the White House, um, they're just going to – they'll be complaining the entire time. I mean, let, let me be honest. I was not happy that Barack Obama won the presidency. I wasn't happy when he won re-election. I never supported right. his policies. But I never yeah. thought it was my purpose – to um, essentially frustrate the election. My goal, once he became elected, was to try to convince enough people in Congress to oppose his views. But I didn't actually ever try to, you know, gin up yeah. crazy, uh, you know, investigations. Or this is just, this just demonstrates uh, the problem with the left. They play by different rules, and that's because they're moral relativists. They don't actually believe in rules. The rules apply when they help them. When the rules don't help them, the rules do not apply. And, and let, let's face the facts here. The real Russian collusion is Hillary selling our uranium. The real Russian collusion is the new report out today that states Russians gave $35 million 
to the, to uh to John Podesta's company to jump to to John to no to a company that had John Podesta on the board. But still, I mean that that you got so many issues right there. I mean that uh, draws so many uh, different conflicts. But John Podesta you know? didn't beat Hillary. That's the problem. <laughs> No, exactly. I mean, I mean and go, you're, no, you're you're exactly right though. I mean, and they'll go the, after the, Trump for all these imaginary things that don't yeah, exist. Have the, but when the real co- Russian collusion is on the left, crickets, crickets. Right. We have Barack Obama saying to a, accidentally to a hot mic after my reelection, please tell Vladimir that I can be more flexible. Yeah. It's like yeah. that. That was Russian collusion, and we had right. it on tape. And, but nobody yeah, and don't, cared. Don't, and don't forget about Adam Schiff trying to get information on a call with a guy that was pretending he was a Russian, saying he had uh, naked pictures of Donald Trump. Remember that? Oh yeah, that was fun. I think he was wasn't he a, a, a kind of a comedian, uh, you know, radio show host is called up and pull, tugging his leg. I, I don't know. I don't know the exact story, but it was somebody definitely playing with him. Uh, Franklin, your thoughts on this entire thing? Well, a couple of things. Well, first of all, it amazes me that if you go back just two to three weeks ago, uh, Robert Mueller was certainly the darling of the left, wasn't he? I mean, everybody thought he was going to be the next yeah. savior. He was coming out with this report. There was going to be indictments. It's Mueller and, time. And uh, now all of a sudden, we, <laughs> now we saw we can't we can't trust anything that he says. And uh, then we, but, but what's worse than that is the idea that uh, we have the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee that's going on and he's lying to us. He was telling us for for the last six, seven months, right, that uh, indictments are coming, that he has special information, he's seen things we don't, that there's evidence of collusion, that that all this evidence exists, that once all of it comes out, we're going to understand exactly what the president did. And now come to find out, really, well, he had no information, and it was really just uh, the left propaganda, and it's a witch hunt. But you're right. You have to say that they pivot quickly. So now it's uh, now we want tax returns. We got to move on to the next thing. Uh, it, I, you know, one of the things I said tonight was that uh, I, I'm much less concerned about looking at the tax returns of a billionaire who became a politician, and I'm much more interested in looking at uh, the tax returns of some of those politicians who then later became millionaires. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. A good and, point. And the fact they can have so much protection uh, is disgraceful. I'll tell you. They got all the, these left wing politicians they got so much protection and republicans even do a quarter of what they do the, the republicans get crucified it's such a sick double standard uh kevin go ahead oh yeah so you guys are absolutely right but nothing's going to change uh the left just keeps you know telling these lies uh, all these different institutions uh the media these politicians and it's it's absolutely sickening because uh you know the regular you know leftist american is just eating it up uh, just today, I came back from the uh, 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 Trump is not above the law uh, group. It's owned by MoveOn.org. They held a protest today at the state capitol. It, they called it the Day of Rage because William Barr had cleared Trump of all uh, wrongdoing. And essentially, uh, they still won't accept the results. And you know, I still get uh, advertisements from uh, Tom Steyer saying, "Oh, you know, Trump is uh, guilty of nine plus counts of treason. He needs to be taken down." At this point, I'm saying this is even worse than being in a theater and shouting fire. I mean, these are absolute lies. They're hurting our country. They're hurting, you know, um, our ability to enact reform to this terrible um, process that's going on, all, these, all the damage that's being done to our presidency. 
And uh, MoveOn.org is owned by Soros. I mean, this guy is an absolute criminal in every sense of the word. Why have we not taken this guy down? Um, you know, Daryl was mentioning this, that we actually need to regulate what people say. They need to be held accountable. They, you know, it's day after day after day after day of absolute lies and proven lies, and that nothing's being done about it. And, um, yeah, something needs to be done about it. Yeah, very very well said. Uh, Bill, I'll go to you. Bill in Texas. Yeah, well, this is – they have to stay – they have so much invested in the Russia collusion thing, they have to stick with it. And the only way to stick with that is that that either something's wrong with, with Mueller and he's covering up for Trump or there's something wrong with Barr or a combination of both. I mean, CNN, it's not – you know, it's the, the, they're like talking to a child. You know, it wasn't – but a few days ago you heard – commentators on on conservative uh platforms saying you know if if Barr is wrong why isn't Mueller coming out why aren't the lawyers from the Mueller report you know the all why aren't everybody saying no Barr's lying that's not what we came up and, and but it, when lo and behold a few days later you know because CNN watches other newscasts like oh yeah you know so we're gonna have to invent some some witnesses or some some people you know, in quotation marks that worked on it that say that's not the case. So, and they know, Schiff knows that there, this is so big as far as the vast amount of paperwork and the, the complexity of all this that's going on with the Russia, that if he brings it into the, the Congress, he can manipulate anything in there to convince that base to keep this vitriol feeling they have towards the right. So that's, that's their new that's their new Russia. It's still Russia, but it's Russia 2.0, and it's just the next step to it. Uh, Mike Peters. Mike Peters in New York. Go ahead. I refuse. I will not believe at all that out of all the investigation everything they did, that Hillary and everybody else's name didn't come up here with evidence pointing at them while they're doing this whole Mueller investigation. There, have to be, there has to be information out there. If there is... I would love to see Trump say, open it up. Let them see it. Let the American people really see the, do you want to see the dirty laundry? Here you go. And put it out there. Anything else they have on these people, including Soros. And also you're saying about to control what's being said. Well, why don't we let the IRS do their job? If you have a nonprofit, all these foundations and everything, there are regulations that stop these nonprofits from using their money and being active in political um, events or any, anything political. That's not the job of a nonprofit. Like the, then why aren't they going after the Joyce Foundation and some of these other foundations and let the IRS take them down and shut them up? Once that money dries up and Soros can't spend the money and isn't given the tax credits for it, I think then we'll see a uh, control on what's being said and everything. It'll shut them up and take the, take the money, take the rug right out from underneath them. So, I, I hear you. Uh, Dick Daryl, go ahead. I know you got you got a lot to say about this subject. Go ahead. Yeah, so you know I've got a, a little approach here. I mean, in, in terms of pertaining to what Troy Gowdy said, I, I always say leave the legalese to the lawyers. I don't really think that I have too much to add to his comments. I'm certainly in agreement with everything there. I do want to back up real quickly and just add a few comments on the Josie Smollett situation. Um, we, we have a situation where, you know, the left has been pushing this narrative that we have an epidemic in hate crime since the election of Donald Trump. This is uh, not only patently false, but the reality is that what we have is an epidemic of hate crime hoaxes. 
since the election of Donald Trump. And, and when over you have 300, that, you have over 300 to, to date. That, that, that's correct. And, and as we have a, a similar dynamic with an epidemic of uh, allegations, false allegations of sexual assault, what this speaks to is a lack of effective criminal deterrence on these very severe crimes. Uh, we look at something like hate crimes, the concept of a hate crime, that the, the idea of assaulting someone is somehow more or less hateful dependent upon their identity. So we have these little multipliers in place. I, I think it's time to be introducing new legislature and, and new approaches that add multipliers to crimes such as these so that we can start providing some real effective deterrence on this. And specifically about Jesse Smollett, of course, I'm, I'm a little bit annoyed that he, that he didn't get his comeuppance yet. But, uh, you know, the larger perspective, this is a really, uh, a really enlightening story for the American people, and this gives us a great opportunity to continue talking about it, and uh, hopefully we'll catch them with their hands in the cookie jar. I'm not too, too concerned about, uh, you know, his, his fate. It's, I'm obviously not the final judge, but ultimately we're dealing with a deviant Satanist who will likely end up burning in hell. So, so all things considered, I think, I think uh, I'm happy that that story is still in play, and I, and I hope that uh, both in this as well as in the Mueller investigation, we use this opportunity to go on offense and really start putting the screws to these people. Thank you. Yeah, very, very well said. Uh, I want to I want to take a quick 30-second uh, commercial break, and then I want to I come back. Everybody stick around. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Uh, I got a couple more things I want to go over. Um, yeah, we'll be right back. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. All righty, we are back. The Rory Sodder Show, worldwide, coast to coast. Listen to in 22 different countries on over 60 online platforms. And everybody, remember uh, to visit our new media site for 24-7 breaking news coverage, past clips and past episodes, uh, thenexgenusa.com. I, uh, I want to get into something that's been bothering myself and every other conservative, um, you know, it, it's a variety of things, but it, it factors into this whole social justice warrior narrative. And I tell you, these people I want to strangle sometimes that are, they're so entitled, uh, these people on the left, these social justice warriors, they take no accountability, they play the victim stance, they attack people, they're they're the, it's bigotry at its finest. I mean, we have these people terrorizing our streets, taking down our statues. It was a new article out today uh, at a place called, I've never even heard of this university, but Hofstra University students uh, demand removal of Thomas Jefferson's statue. Who the hell are they? Who do these kids think they are? You know who I blame this on, and I've talked about this on my show, and it's a sick epidemic, is these sick professors, these leftist professors that want to indoctrinate and spew this absurd ideology of, of communism and socialism on, on their students. I mean, this, 
and telling how racist all these Republicans are. Oh, Thomas, Je- Thomas Jefferson is so bad. He was a racist. I mean, they have all of these certain things that they, they go after. Look at the Chick-fil-A ban. I mean, look at how they go after Chick-fil-A. In, in a two-week time frame, Chick-fil-A was banned from two airports in the United States, San Antonio and Buffalo, because of LGP, LGBT discrimination. So the LGBTQ community wants to discriminate against Christians. But the minute we say anything about them, all hell breaks loose. You know, they start crying. They start pouting. They start calling us hateful. But what they're doing is actually the real hate. It's the real bigotry because we're not bothering them. They're trying to come in to Christianity and and different establishments and trying to change history. They're trying to tell people what to believe. We saw it with the Christian baker. Look at the baker that had to deal with this gay couple, and he won the suit in the end, but this gay couple was giving him the hardest time, and the Christian baker didn't want to serve them because of his beliefs, and that's absolutely his right. But what did we see the mainstream media do? Oh, he's a hateful bigot. He, he's somebody that you know, uh, discriminates on certain you know, uh, orientations and ethnicities and, and religions. No, no, no. And it, it's so backwards what they're what they're spewing, what they're teaching people. It's sick. I mean, we have feminism, which is terrorism. We have all these females now with the anti-male narrative. You know, having all of this, uh, you know, victim stance mentality, uh, the shit don't stink mentality, entitled to the max, marching through the streets, making demands. You know, just being completely ignorant. And this is all caused by the left. And we're seeing a a huge problem, and I've talked about this on my show, and this factors into all of this, is the black community and and how they're portrayed as victims. And there's no accountability taken. When blacks on blacks shoot each other every day in our country, you barely ever hear about it. Instead, you hear about the less than 1% chance a white cop goes after a black guy. And not always. But usually, the reason these cops are going after these guys is because they're usually sometimes not dropping their weapon. They're not putting their hands in the air. They're, they're not following instructions. And then what do they do? Oh, it's because I'm black. It's because I'm black. Give me a, give me a break, man. Seriously. Like, it doesn't end. It does not end. And, you know, you saw how the NFL tried to, you know, spew all these protests, get on their knees like a bunch of fruitcakes. Excuse my French, but it just backfired on their ratings. It backfired on uh, them. I mean, we have NFL Network now that has lost four million viewers, four million subscribers, and ESPN is down now too. When you mix politics with sports and and, and all this stuff factors together, like I said, but it's it's all the leftist narrative. It's all the social justice warrior, and it's it's pure communism. I mean, it's, it's anti-American to the finest. Uh, George, go ahead. Well, I mean, I agree with you on, on everything you were talking about. I mean, you look at the NFL, uh, the marketplace has spoken on that point, and uh, the NFL's uh, ratings improved as soon as uh, they got past the uh, the kneeling episode. Um, and it's just, I, you know, Americans, I don't know if it really matters what your politics are. When you tune in a football game, you kind of want to watch football. You don't want to watch these guys basically flip the bird to the you know to the country and act like, America yeah. sucks. It's also a little bit hard to stomach a guy that makes 
you know, multi-million dollars each year telling us how oppressed he is. (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, most Americans would like to be equally oppressed. Um, But um, it's just we live in a very strange world because I, I don't. I don't believe that uh, you know our country is perfect. It's a collection of 325 million people, so it's not going to be perfect because people aren't perfect. But it's a remarkable country. It is a country that has a remarkable track record of uh, giving people opportunity, of just you know, p- ordinary people being able to live their lives in an extraordinary way, and uh, and yet. These people act as if what's wrong with the world is America. And it's like, I, I don't think you guys understand. Uh, if you look around, America is what's right with the world. And the rest of the world gets it, and that's why they're trying to get here. Because they understand that this is the place to be. You know, We have yeah. an immigration problem, and I, I'm not trying to say that it's okay we have one, but I'm just saying I understand it. They don't have an immigration problem in China. People aren't trying to sneak in there. How about Iran? People are not trying to sneak into Iran. And, and there's a reason for this. And, and, and I just – I do not understand why people spend all their time telling us what a terrible place America is. You see feminists do this all the time. You see various kind of you know, race hustlers do it. And I have a very dear friend who happens to be uh, a, a, an African-American, and he always just kind of shakes his head when this stuff comes up because he says, tell me a place that I would be better off as a black man than America. He says, this is absolutely the most awesome place in the world. And, and I'm like, yeah, I don't understand why other people can't see this. Is it perfect? No. Is it absolutely awesome? Yes. Yeah, and I see these people waving their flags, you know, oh, I'm so proud of my country. Well, if you're so proud of your country, why are you here? Why are you here? And, and, you know, people want to say, oh, America was never great, especially people on the left want to say that. When was America ever great? Uh, And when they say that, it just proves how anti-American they are, because America is the greatest country on earth. It always has been. It's been the place for, uh, for so much opportunity for prosperity, for peace, for security, uh, and, and, it's the, and then anybody can achieve the American dream as long as they work hard. You can't, you can't have that sort of luxury in any other country, you know? Oh, I agree. I mean, if you look around, America is a place where just regular folks can do extraordinary things. They can make a real difference. They can invent things. They can become fabulously wealthy. They can uh, you know, become world leaders. I, mean, I wasn't excited about Barack Obama getting elected, but let's be honest. America elected a black president. So if America is such a horrible, racist country, how the heck did that happen? And then as soon as they don't like the policies he's passed, well, then all of a sudden now they're all racist. You know, When they elected him, of course, they weren't. But then six months later when they didn't like Obamacare, that's because, well, they're racist. It's just you – know, actually, America is – I mean are there some racists somewhere? Sure. Is America a yeah. racist country? No, absolutely not. No. And, I, and I think well, that – where are the European countries that have elected um, you know, black prime ministers and presidents? No, oh, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, B- Bill, go ahead. Bill in Texas, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a, a globalistic mentality that that's perpetuating this to a point that that 
they 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 don't really that's that's part of what this fascist socialistic or communistic mentality is is that that they have the moral superiority and and you can put whatever label you want on it too it's the same thing that hitler's mentality was was that superiority so we can dictate to you what your behavior is behind your closed doors in your home without us being here and you you can't people will rebel against that that's a that's a human trait you you i mean look at france where they've been going on now eight weeks or something like that and and it, it's you know they're still in the streets and and that's and if you think that's about gas tax you're you're sadly mistaken they're not that public's not in the streets because of of taxes or anything else that's a cultural war going on right now and it hasn't escalated into into main scale heavy duty violence but it will unless that that government gets control and you have to pay attention to what's going over there it's like the gentleman was saying nobody's sneaking into iran nobody's sneaking into guatemala nobody's sneaking into to any other countries except what western cultured countries which they will will overpopulate destroy the economies and create a, a world that is like all the other in in all the other continents that are, are poverty stricken and health ridden and then you have the ability for the global elites who who control 95% of the the capital on on earth to control a population that they can't literally can't take care of themselves because it it, it starts with weapons but even if you start where you can't eat and you can't take care of your child, and you can't you you can't exist to the next day, and tomorrow is more than likely going to be your last day. Then then you have to submit that, and that's most of people's per personalities are are a submissive nature when it comes down to Brack's tax. Only a few people are going to say, "I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees." Well, well said. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, go ahead, Kevin. Uh, you guys have uh, been spot on with all these remarks. Uh, I just want to add that, uh, yeah, America is definitely by no means a racist nation. I mean, we treat people with the utmost respect and privilege, and uh, we give them the freedoms, everyone and people under the law. But that is not true, you know, in most places, if not all other places throughout the world. And there are countless uh, examples of you know, white people from European or from uh, in North American countries that decide, oh, I'm going to, you know, prove how not racist people are, and I'm going to go on a tour through, you know, the Middle East. I'm just going to bike around and, and meet people, make some friends. It, it never works out well for them. They always end up raped and dead and uh, beheaded and all these things. Uh, it's They're poached. And, you know, leave it to our media and our Marxist educational systems to lie to our population and say, oh, everyone is so nice and, you know, we're the ones that are racist. The white people, we're the ones that are attacking minorities, white people. Well, no, that's not the case. It's, it's very much the exact opposite because, you know, our white people are being killed when they leave the safety of their communities. It's, it's absolutely the fact. And uh, now that these dangerous communities are being flooded into our countries, now we're the ones being attacked in our own countries. And, uh, you know, we, we try to get some protection. We, we want, you know, our government to intervene and try to prevent this. But, no, uh, you know, our FBI director said it himself. He's most worried about the rise of white supremacy 
so, you know, they're attacking, even our own government is trying to get white people. You know, we can't form a militia. We're going to get, you know, imprisoned, uh, you know, for a very long time. We can't, you know, get guns to defend ourselves in, in many states. Uh, we can't get enough ammo. We can't, uh, you know, truly form these groups because we're just labeled white supremacists or, you know, we're just uh, enabling hate. And it's an absolute, like, backward scenario that uh, the media and these Marxist institutions are, are telling everyone. And uh, it needs to change, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Franklin, go ahead. Sure. Well, I, I think that a lot of what the reason why we have a President Trump administration today is because of the, the problems with the political correctness movement, whether you call it social justice or feminism. Uh, basically, people get tired of being told that they're bad, and uh, people want to have a positive outlook. Uh, I'm running for Congress because I believe in American exceptionalism. I believe that we're the, the country that's created the greatest amount of wealth in history. We're more generous than any other country on the face of the earth or, or ever has been. And uh, and while it's okay to pay some taxes and we have to pay for, for services, nobody wants to be insulted while you're doing it. And so uh, I think that that's what you've seen. But now it's not even uh, just the left attacking the right. Have you noticed over the last few weeks uh, the left is driving this movement against uh, Joe Biden and this political correctness, which is, is he's really been under attack lately. And, and the Democrats are really Creepy putting themselves Joe. into a corner. <laughs> and uh, while I agree that a lot of those pictures are a little bit creepy, I don't think that he's a sexual predator. I think that that's his personality. But it, I heard two Democratic strategists on television tonight saying that uh, the only acceptable candidate for the Democratic Party in 2020 is going to be a woman. And so now it's not even politically correct to be a man and run. And so uh, I think that they've painted themselves into a corner, and I think that it's going to be their undoing in the end. Well said, Franklin. Uh, Mike Peters in New York. Mike Peters, go ahead. Yeah, I think the biggest mistake that all these people are making is they judge everything that's going on in the world and everything based on their own reality, which is how they live their lives here in this country and who they surround themselves to, with and what they listen to. So they have these utopian views and everything. And as one of your, uh, the other panelists mentioned, and they decide to take these tours around the world or join the Peace Corps and end up in a cannibal stockpot or whatever they want to do. And they do it thinking that the world is a wonderful place with the unicorns and the rainbows. And it's not. And if there was a way to get them overseas, maybe have a program when they're young and let them get a taste of what it's like in another country so that they would have an appreciation for what this country is. Uh, maybe that would maybe that would be a, make a difference because... As I mentioned the other night, I see it in a lot of our soldiers when they come home and they have a completely different attitude, a lot of them, uh, about what this country is and what that flag represents when they come home. And uh, that might be what's needed. Well, well said, Mike. Daryl, Daryl, go ahead. I know you have quite a, quite a bit of thoughts on this. Go ahead, Daryl. You wrote a book on it. Yeah, I, it, yeah, I did have the topic of my book, Cultural Cancer, Treating the Disease of Political Correctness. So yeah, I think this is really funny because remember, I think what was it a year ago now, where where Trump made those comments? Today it's Robert E. Lee, tomorrow it's George Washington, or whatever. And yeah, here we are. Now we're talking about tearing down presidents. What this is is this is a turf war in a in a culture war. And and once again, the conversation, even the conversation we're having now, is you know should we should we tear down our presidents? Should we? No, no, we shouldn't. And and the conversation needs to turn around from a. Uh, you know, should we allow ourselves to be victimized by this leftist degenerate horde? And we really need to start punching back in our own way. So rather than talking about whether or not it's appropriate to tear down 
presidential statues and remove presidents from currency. This stuff is absurd, and this, frankly, is really uh, beneath us even discussing. This is such an absurd concept. I want to talk about uh, things like rejecting urban thug culture, which I feel has zero place in Western nations. And I want to talk about cleaning up our cities, instituting saggy pants fines, uh, bringing back stop and frisk and these types of things, and really taking some proactive steps to push back on our culture. So, yeah, presidential stuff, our history, that's off limits. If you want to add some new things in, contribute something meaningful in the future, produce a meaningful African-American president, then we'll be happy to put some currency in the future. But this retroactive going back and uh, remaking our own history to make it more politically correct, uh, not only is it uh, is it absurd, but I, but I almost think that we do a disservice to ourselves by by even allowing it to be discussed. This is off limits. We need to push back. What, uh, urban subculture, again, as I've said many times, zero place in Western nations. Our cities need to be cleaned up, and we need to be instituting proactive policies to actually start taking ground back on on turf of culture. Very well said. Very well said, Daryl. Um, I want to ask everybody about this, and, and this has been bothering me, and I know it's bothering a lot of conservatives. Um, the De- you know, the Democrats, they're on this mission. They're on this hunt to, um, you know, uh, get rid of the Electoral College and give the vote to the popular vote, which is, if you really think about how they're try- trying to change history – just because they don't want Trump to win in 2020, that's a little scary. I mean, they're, they're so threatened by Trump, they want to change the entire election process. And it was just announced today that an Ohio proposal would award the electoral, call, the electoral vote to the popular vote winner. And we know how important Ohio is during the presidential election. Sometimes it dictates the outcome. just depends. Um, I want to start with you, Daryl. What, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, you probably think it's beyond absurdity. Because we don't want, we don't want New York and California uh, deciding our election. Go ahead, Daryl. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, again, and these, are, these are things where, uh, you know, we see this time and time again. Where, where the left, when they don't get what they want, they, they look to yeah. change the rules of the game. And, and in a way, of course, it's very upsetting, but, but I think that it opens the door for conservative policy to, to start suggesting uh, rule changes of our own. So when the left yeah. comes at us with things like lowering the voting age to 16, I think that's a, a great yeah. opportunity for us to talk about things like restricting voting rights to net contributors. Right. Um, they've opened that conversation. So there are a lot of things in place, and I, and I think that it's really a situation of them getting a little bit greedy because they've rigged this game in, in so many ways. And for them to, to now try and actually augment it further to, to make it easier yeah. for them, as you know, for a Republican to win the presidency, you really have to yeah. thread the needle in, in more ways than yeah. one. And uh, yep. I, I think that this is an opportunity where if we respond with some aggressive policies of our own that, to speak to right. some of our concerns about what is now a, a rigged electoral process. Uh, we can take this conversation in an entirely new light, and they've got no high ground to, to uh, make comments about us instituting or, or calling for policies like that because they've done us that great favor of, of opening the conversation. I mean, I was planning on going into conversations like these myself, and, and, and now that they've done this, I think that uh, there's no excuse for, for the mainstream uh, Republican establishment to, 
to engage them directly on it and, and start having a dialogue with the American people about how our electoral process works. And, and you know, let's start talking about this process of essentially having uh, massive segments of the population being subsidized by taxpayer dollars, essentially being paid to vote for Democrats mm-hmm. and how fundamentally unfair that is to working class Americans. Let's talk about that and let's lay out some counter policies of our own uh, that, that we think would, would provide a much more uh, level playing field moving forward for electoral elections and presidential elections, rather, as well as all other national elections. Well said. And, Daryl, just in case we only have a few minutes left, but just in case we lose you uh, with, the, with the timer, uh, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Uh, brother, you're too kind. I got a little hot the other night. Go to DarylKane2024.com. Want to give a couple shout-outs to my good friends, Matthew Fonisok, uh, David Majek. He just started a great production company, Rich Crest Productions, uh, Cedric Pierce, Manny Barajas, Quent Lesk, uh, some many great people out there listening. My good friend, Marshall Woody. God bless everyone listening. And, Rory, thank you so much for having me on, and, and thank you so much to all of your guests for, for such a lovely discussion tonight. A real honor and a privilege. Absolutely, buddy. Um, I want to I want to get uh, Bill. Bill, your thoughts. Uh, try try and make your point within about twenty or thirty seconds, and then tell everybody where they can find you. But go ahead. Well, I think that that uh, electoral college worked exactly the way it was supposed to in this last election. And until we start teaching the population of really about what disenfranchisement is, and what the electoral college a college ensures for the population on a whole, then then it, it's kind of a, a, a lost conversation to them because they don't have any way of grasping its understanding. And you can follow me on uh, Twitter at uh, Super Elite Texan. And I want to thank you and, and thank a friend of mine, Kat. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Uh, make your quick point and then tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, yes, yeah, so I don't think that uh, educating is going to do much just because this is a, a thing uh, deployed from the top down. It's not like the people that are creating this popular vote system. It's, you know, our, our elites. So, uh, yeah, we just got to fight back. This might be a civil war kind of scenario in the, in the future if this happens. It's unconstitutional. So uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, you can find uh, my group, uh, republicansunited.org, or my new uh, group, uh, nationalistunited.com. Thank you so much. Perfect. Yeah, Franklin, go ahead. And I just want to agree with the other uh, panelists that it's an absurd notion. The, one of the brilliance of the founders of the country were, was to create this electoral college, a decentralized uh, a place where you can sort of safeguard against the tyranny of the majority. And uh, I, also, good luck to any of the Democratic candidates in 2020 who are going to go ahead and try to stump that in Iowa and, and New Hampshire. Good luck to them on, on selling that, why their vote is now uh, worthless, and we're just going to go to California and New York. But uh, right. I really appreciate you having me on tonight, Rory. Uh, people can uh, go ahead and uh, join my website, join the team, SagerForAmerica.org, and just really appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak with you tonight. Yeah, we'll have you back again soon, Franklin. You've been a great guest. Love having you. Talk soon. Uh, George, go ahead. Well, um, you know, on the Electoral College, uh, I think the point's been made, but if you look at what the founders were concerned about, they were concerned about two issues, tyranny either from 
the traditional, like the crown, somebody wore a, a gold crown on their head, or a tyranny of the majority, in which 51% right. persecuted 20, 49%. Electoral college and much of the Constitution is designed to prevent that from happening. Right. And you can get me at G. Landreth, L-A-N-D-R-I-T-H, G. Landreth. Great to have you. Thanks for coming, sir. We'll have you back on again soon. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a fantastic show. I want to thank all my sponsors, my audience, my guests, and co-hosts. Um, don't forget, we're listened to in 22 different countries. We're on over 60 online platforms, and you can visit our new media site, the next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA.com for 24-7 breaking news source coverage, uh, past clips, and past episodes. Also, please visit our store, uh, TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. Again, that's TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. You can get all of your customized, authentic, and creative Trump merchandise there. Uh, everybody, it's been a fantastic show tonight. Uh, I, I hope you all have a great weekend, and we will see you all Monday. I'm Rory Sauter. God bless. Cheers. <laughs>